0: Matthew chapter 21, if you're not there yet, if you uh, would like to do so in the app, if you're in our Journey SI app, if you click on this weekend, um, you'll have some details there, and you can um, actually just pull it up, uh, hit the scripture button, and it'll pull it straight up from the app there if you'd like, or if you want to use one of our Bibles there in the back of a seat, that'll be found on page 826 if that's helpful to you. Uh, Matthew 21, uh, 1 through 11 is our passage uh, this morning, will read that together, ask for God's wisdom, and then dive in here. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, or it says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what had been uh, what was spoken by the prophet, saying, "Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them and put on them their cloaks, and set on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the crowd, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and and that followed him were shouting, "Hosanna!" For the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would bring your word to life this morning. We ask that you would um, speak to us. Lord, open our hearts and help us to receive it. Help us to see you. This question, Who is this Jesus May may that be answered emphatically as you reveal yourself, your presence this morning here in our in our midst as we've gathered here in your name. We ask it in that name now. Come, speak, fill us up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church. Well, um, my notes just went berserk, so we don't know where this is going to go today, but. Um, so, Palm Sunday, I don't know about y'all, but for most of my life, the significance of Palm Sunday has just kind of like psh, gone right over my head, right? Like I've, I've really failed to, to uh, get excited about or understand, what, you know, like I get Easter, right? Like it's a big deal. Uh, but, you know, Palm Sunday is just like, all right, so Jesus rode a donkey and there's palm bread. Like it just seemed like it's a weird story um, and I don't understand, you know, like it just never really computed to me as a kid, especially, and then really even for a lot of my adult life, and like, okay, this is a big part of the church calendar, and we, we usually stop whatever series we're doing, right, and, and and do Palm Sunday, and then into Easter, and, and so why is that? And I, it just kind of was always lost on me. Um, however, the problem's with me, and not 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 Palm Sunday itself, because this event, this day, as we head into Holy Week, as we look, and Easter is just... One week ahead, this is a big deal. This is what starts off Holy Week. And so uh, just, just quickly, I want to remind you that Easter is indeed next week and, and that you indeed have friends and know people that do not know Jesus, and you should invite them. You should invite them to come celebrate with us next week as we look at the resurrection and why the resurrection matters for us, not as just an event in history, but really in our day-to-day life. What does it look like uh, to the resurrected Jesus to be a part of our everyday life. We're going to look at the story of Peter and, and Jesus uh, restoring him. So we want to invite you to invite your friends next Sunday morning, and we're going to fill this room up. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but getting into that, we're, we're going to uh, gather Friday night. Good Friday, we're going to have a service, and we love Good Friday services here at The Journey. Uh, they're going to, it's, it's different. It's always a little bit um, darker, both in, you know, it's in the evening, but just in, in the tone, the feel. Uh, in order to really celebrate the resurrection, we have to kind of set in the weight of the cross and understand that the reason that Jesus died was not for anything that he had has done, right, or had done. It's for our sin. And so we, we need to feel that and, and gaze into uh, what Jesus was accomplishing when he went to the cross on our behalf. And so this Friday night, six o'clock, we want to invite you to come and uh, And gather with us. Invite your friends and family. Six o'clock, we're going to have a a 45-minute service where we'll be a little bit more interactive, uh, a bit of a different tone and feel, but we're excited about it. And we're going to invite you and your friends. And then... um not Easter Sunday, we kind of changed it, we were going to do baptisms, but uh, we're actually going to do baptisms the week after Easter, and so if that's you and you're still thinking about it, I know a couple of you couldn't do it on Easter, uh, but the week after Easter, we want to invite you to, um, to sign up, and, or to just stop by the Welcome Center, let me know, we'd love to talk with you and get you uh, questions answered, and get you signed up for that, but all of those things are just celebrate Easter, because Easter is a huge, huge deal, amen? You guys still with me? Jesus is alive, right? Praise God, He's alive every week, and that's why we gather and we celebrate. But man, this is the the, the day that we set aside to really, um, man, there's still a party, and we're excited to do that um, next Sunday. So bring your friends, bring your family. Um, it's gonna be good, but it all starts with Palm Sunday, this the, the Holy Week headed into this. It starts with this event of Palm Sunday, and. Although I never saw the significance of it, clearly the biblical writers do. This is one of the very few events that all four gospel writers write down. All four—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—they all record this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. They all make, and that in and of itself should cause us to kind of make note, right? And our ears to perk up and wonder, start digging as, as to why, what's going on with that, what's the significance of this, um, and what we see is that there's a reason that they all make note of this because it's it's more than just Jesus. You know, hitching a ride on a donkey, and you know, headed to his destination. There's so much happening. There's so much culminating here on this day, uh, that is really rich and and beautiful time of study that you could do on your own. But we're going to walk through a little bit of it today. So here's what's going on. We're going we're to walk through this passage. Jesus um, is now toward. This is the last week of his life. Right. We're in Matthew 21. Some of the gospel writers um, give more time to you know prior to Passion Week, and and not a ton of. But man. You, th- you think about it. There's there's 28 chapters. So in um, Matthew, the, the rest of the book is going to be focused on just what happens in the next um, six and a half seven days, um, and so everything before that has been you know the last three years or, or even before in Jesus's birth and all of that. And it's really gonna the focus is going to narrow in on what Jesus does in his last days here in Passion Week. And so um, this is a huge huge deal, and it begins as he. Um, is entering into Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Well, it's the Passover, right? And for the Jewish people, the Passover is a huge deal. For centuries now, they've been celebrating this festival, this meal, um, and it all started with the Exodus, right? It, it started when God's people were formed out of, um, you know, God's grace just choosing them, but they were enslaved into. Um, Egypt and God rescues them out of there. And one of the ways, the, the final way that He actually gets them out of the bondage of Egypt is through the death angel coming and, and wiping out the firstborn children of, of all the Egyptian people. But on that night, before that happened, God set aside this meal, right, this Passover meal, where He told His people, He says, "Listen, the death angel is coming, and there will be no no one is is uh, getting exempt from this." But here's what you do. Here's what you do. If you don't want your oldest, your firstborn to die, you're going to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot, your best lamb, and you're going to slaughter it instead. And I want you to take the blood and put it over your doorpost, and and then you partake of this meal and set it aside, and you put your faith in that, that, that the Lord is going to choose to pass over your home, your household, because the blood of the lamb is on your doorpost, and and praise god that's what that's what happens and um, the Egyptian families cry out in terror as indeed their firstborn sons are slaughtered, but the people of God that put place their faith in him trusted what He said to do. God passes over them. He sees the blood of the Lamb and He passes over them. So this Passover meal then is set aside and annually the people of God gather together to celebrate this Passover meal. And so Jesus is is now headed into Jerusalem. Now there's a unique uh, part of this story that's going on, if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus has done incredible works, right? He's healing people. He's raised people from the dead. He's healing people of leprosy. He's given blind people their sight back. He is. Um, he's done incredible things, and he's done incredible teachings. And consistently, as you read the Gospel, whenever he heals somebody, gives them uh, their sight back, gives them, their para- you know, people that are paralytics are able to walk again, they'll leave there, and Jesus will tell them to what? Tell no one, right? You see this pattern throughout the Gospels. Jesus says, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, right? And there's this interesting, and, 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 and so on this day, that shifts. This will be the first time that Jesus will allow and, in fact, encourage, plan for, and embrace the, the praise of the people calling him king. There's been other times where they actually tried to um, you know, they, they gathered around him. They wanted to anoint him. They wanted to, you know, kind of place this mantle on him and call him, uh, you know, the, the, the Savior, the Messiah. And Jesus evaded them and, and snuck out. And there's, there's time after time where Jesus would have these huge crowds and his disciples would be like, hey, man, this is your chance. You want to overthrow Rome? Like, you've got, a, you've got thousands of people out here waiting for you. You say the right things and we can go and get this thing done. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what it is. My time has not yet come. And yet, in this moment, on this day, Jesus is heading into Jerusalem and not only is he embracing it, he is seemingly planning for it, right? He tells his disciples, "Hey, you're going to go ahead of us. They're coming down this Mount Mount of Olives now in the city of Bethphage and Bethany. And and from what, I've never been there, but from what I can tell, or from what I've been told, the city of Jerusalem is, is kind of here. And this mountain, uh, as, as you kind of come down it." You could see from these cities, you can really see into the city and you can see the temple. And as the crow flies, it's not very far. It's going to take a a mile or so for them to kind of make their way into the city, and to the gates. But uh, you could see into it. And so Jesus is is now ready and headed into the city for the Passover meal. And it's not just Jesus. It is hundreds of thousands. In fact, a lot of scholars estimate really a couple million of Jews have gathered into the city to celebrate the Passover meal. uh, Hundreds of thousands of lambs. Will be slaughtered this week, right? And so this the ceremony is, is is gathering and building, and Jesus is on his way in. Now there is a, uh, a a growing plot between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, right? They there is an active plot to catch and kill and kill Jesus, right? They they the religious leaders have told people, hey, if you see Jesus, you need to turn him in so that we can put him to death. They there is an active plot that. Um, the religious leaders are not okay with the following that Jesus has stirred up. And When you start uh, messing with people's power and influence and, and people that are powerful start seeing somebody else get their, their attention and they, they start getting worried and they start get grasping for um, whatever they can, and that for them has turned into a plot to kill Jesus. And it's all been amplified because just before this, Jesus has done uh, one of his greatest miracles in, where he actually raised Lazarus from the dead right? Lazarus was like a a friend of Jesus, and he died, and it wasn't just like Jesus got there, and like Lazarus took his last breath, and then Jesus said, oh, yeah, you know, come back. No, no, Lazarus was dead, dead. They did his funeral. Uh, In fact, Jesus shows up and says, hey, you know, open up the grave, and they're like, you might not want to. He's been in there long enough. He's starting to stink, bro, and so just, you know, Lazarus was dead, dead, and Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, that that ain't no thing. And he looks into the grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. And, and Lazarus stops being dead and gets up and walks out. And so now, not, now all of this is, is meeting, uh, it's coming to a fever pitch where the people want to know more and more, who is this man that has raised the dead? We want to see him. And the people that are opposing him are even more concerned and even more eager to see him shut up and put away. And so all of this is culminating as Jesus is heading in for the Passover feast here on this day. And what's beautiful about this is that Jesus is going to, in many ways, embrace this, right? You, you see, um, Jesus tells them, hey, go get a colt, which is, which is weird, right? Like, so there's this culmination, we're going to look at this today, where Jesus is, uh, yes, the, the king that they have been waiting for, the Messiah, he's here. And Jesus is going to affirm that. Right, he's going to affirm that that has indeed happened. In fact, as as they're coming in and the crowd start yelling, "Hosanna, Hosanna!" Um, and, and one of the other, I think it's Luke's account, um, the, the kids kind of keep yelling it and keep going at it. And the the religious leaders come to Jesus and say, "Hey, can like can you shut them up? That's really beginning. That's that's getting annoying and it's confusing everybody." And Jesus says, "Listen, if they if it's not them, it'll be the rocks. Like if they stop crying out, it'll be the rocks themselves that begin." To cry out, so Jesus is embracing that indeed He is. So, what everybody's been wondering is this the Messiah? Is this the promised one? Is this the, the Son of David? Is this the one who will take the throne and restore Israel back into His place? Jesus, on this day, allows that answer to be a resounding yes. I am that one. So as He comes in, He uh, there is hundreds of thousands of people. That it seems that have gathered around. Um, and as more people are singing and bringing palm branches, others are wanting to know what's going on. They've all gathered for the Passover, and they want to know what's going on. And more and more gather with them, and they're going, well, who is this? Was Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. Is that the guy that raised Lazarus? Yeah. Is that the guy that the people want to kill? Yeah, well, we want to go see him. And so it just grows into this incredible, this is not just a few people that are kind of making this parade as Jesus comes in. This is hundreds of thousands of people that have gathered around this city and are coming out on this hill and and, and you know, causing this parade and then following in him behind him and declaring these things, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And and they're declaring in that moment that they believe Jesus is the coming Messiah. He is the king and Jesus embraces it. Jesus lets it happen for the first time in his ministry. What's going on there? Jesus is affirming, indeed, he is the one. And there's incredible fulfillment of prophecy in this. There's incredible fulfillment. Uh, things that are going on here. Not, like, and Matthew actually outlines one of them, because the first one is, why is there a donkey, right? Why is Jesus riding a donkey? We don't have any other um, recording in the Gospels of Jesus riding anything. He walked everywhere he went, and, and so this is odd and peculiar, and the fact that it's noted in the scripture, we, sh- we should, you know, want to know what's going on there. Was Jesus just tired, right? You know, he just wanted to take a rest before a big week, or was there some kind of significance there? And then why a donkey, this is kind of a coronation, right? People are declaring him as king and, uh, you know, he's coming in. Why not like a war horse, right? What's going on there? there there's some peculiarity. Between, uh, that Jesus is, yes, affirming that he is the coming, the, the promised king. He is here. But at the same time, there's some peculiarity that's going on with the details of the story that are um, speaking to the type of kingdom that Jesus is going to be bringing, and the first of which is indeed the donkey. And so... Um, Matthew just records it, and he says, um, you know, the reason that he gets a donkey and not a war horse, the reason that, not just a donkey, but a colt, right? Like, the foal of a donkey is because he's fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And Matthew lists it there, but I think it'll be on the screen as well. He says, this is hundreds of years before Prophet Zechariah says to the people of Israel, the daughter of Zion, it's another name for, for God's people, he says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Jesus sets this up. That's exactly why he chooses that. And so there's there's a there's fulfillment of prophecy, and it's not just that prophecy, man. We could really spend all day, but one of my other the favorites. I just want you to think about it. A here's the Passover. They're going to celebrate the the lamb. They're they're going to sacrifice this lamb. They're going to look at how God has saved them through the sacrifice of this lamb. And God has put this meal in place for them to look back at how he saved them from Egypt, but also to look ahead to how he's going to save them. And on this moment, the Passover meal is coming. Uh, People are gathering in for that week. And on Friday will be the Passover meal when they slaughter the lambs. And Jesus is coming in. And and it's on this day when the the lambs are to be selected and to be set aside. And as that is happening, Jesus himself is riding in As the Lamb of God. As you think back to John, whenever he looks up and sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's Jesus coming in for the Passover to once and for all end the sacrificial system as he puts an end to it with his own body, where he is no longer going to require us to be bringing our offerings. Instead, he's going to climb onto the offering of the cross himself and give of his own body. So there's beauty even in that, Jesus, the fulfillment of him becoming the Lamb of God who is slain for us. That's happening in this moment. But more than that, there, there's this incredible, as you begin to piece together all that God has been doing and all these sacrificial systems and things, looking ahead, looking ahead, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Messiah coming, right? The, the people of God have been awaiting this Messiah, as we saw in the video, the one who could take the throne and actually lead the people into a, a, a their glory, right, as God's people. And they've been looking ahead and looking ahead. And in Daniel, chapter 9, Daniel's a bizarre book with lots of prophecies and dreams, as you saw earlier. And and, and part of that dream, Daniel comes out of that in chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, I think, or 24 through 26. And and Daniel gives this very specific prophecy where he says, hey, it's going to be like 483 years. Not like, he says exactly how long it's going to be. 483 years from the time that the temple is decreed to be rebuilt at that time when they're in Babylon, the temple's been destroyed. He says, when the, when the temple is decreed to be rebuilt from, from that day, 483 years from there, the Messiah, the king, will come into Jerusalem. And so we have that day in Nehemiah 2. You can do all this calendar work and actually trace throughout history. We have that day. Nehemiah 2, when King Artaxerxes actually declares Um, The temple is to be rebuilt, and from that day, if you do the calendar work, it's something like 173,000 days and some odd. And if you do all that work, it takes you right up to this day when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. So none of this is by accident. He is indeed the one they've been waiting for. He is indeed the promised king. God has not forgot his people. Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. He's riding in. So he's indeed the king. That's not the only thing we need to notice. We need to notice what type of kingdom this king is bringing. So in this moment where Jesus allows the spotlight for the first time to really shine on him in full, and the tension is raised between his followers and his opponents, in this moment, in that moment of spotlight, there's this degree of peculiarity where Jesus is riding on a donkey instead of a war horse. He's entering in as a humble servant instead of a conquering right like instead of this glorious king that we know that he is but he's choosing to do this on purpose this is not like all that he had left again and he does this to show that it's not just happenstance it's not just what was around there oh yeah i forgot to you know book a i forgot to rent a car for my entry into jerusalem let's go see what's around let's get a donkey. No, no no like it's all on purpose it's been prophesied in zechariah and jesus is going to live that out so it's very clear this is the one you you put all those things together you start p- piecing together the pieces of the puzzle and the jigsaw that that Jesus fulfills when he does all of these details throughout all of his life from the time he was born, really, but they they start getting expedited as you enter into Holy Week, and you see that there's no way that you can take an honest look at history and the prophecies from the Old Testament and, and, and leave there with any other conclusion other than Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah, Son of God. So what? So that leaves us with, what does that mean? What, 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 do we, what do we take from this? So Jesus comes in, and yeah, this is what's going to lead to, like he allows this attention to happen because he knows that that needs to build to a fever pitch so that they actually will crucify him. Jesus knows that's ultimately why he's came, right? That's his purpose. And so he needs to let this happen, and, and now his time actually has come. So he's going to let the public, you know, put him on this place, and it's going to um, enrage the religious leaders even further, and the plot's going to thicken. And it's going to end with Jesus on the cross. And he knows that. He knows that his mission is not complete unless that's how it ends. And yet, he does all of this on purpose. And it—and he's teaching us something, even in this moment. If you just read this story out of context and you forget all that he's been doing leading up to that, you will, you will miss the type of kingdom that this king is bringing. So the promised king is here. And he's brought a better kingdom or a better salvation than what the people have longed for and wanted. Right? And so we see that um, these people, their response is curious because they actually are affirming him as king. But we know, if we read the rest of the story, we know that this crowd turns on him and in just a few days, they're going to be the ones that are screaming crucify him. But in this moment, there's something for us to take note of because um, as Jesus rides in on the colt, uh, verse 8 says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well. What's going on there? These are like um, ceremonial um, actions and symbols that, that people do to say, we believe you are the one. Like you are the king. When they take their cloaks off and they lay them on the ground, that, that is their way of saying, we submit to you. We, we, will, we will follow you. You are over us. You can trample over us. We submit. We bow down before you. And the, the palm branch, to lay them before and to wave them as as the kiddos were earlier, is to declare He's the, like this is the victorious one this is the, this is our king this is our conqueror this is the one whom we place our trust and and the word hosanna means save us o oh lord o oh lord save us with emphasis there like we're longing for you to be the one to save us and it comes from psalm 118 where the people are crying out save us o oh lord save us but it transitions in meaning from just saying save us o oh lord to in this moment, as they couple it with blessed is he who comes in the, in the name of the Lord, right? The son of David. They're declaring not just save us, O Lord, but salvation is here. He's arrived. Jesus is the one. We trust in him. Like, and so it's shifting from save us, O Lord, to salvation is here. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. He is the one. They, like, it's all climaxing in this moment as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Salvation is here is the declare and the, the proclamation from the, from the crowd. And it says in verse 10, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? Who is this? Much like when he was born, right? The whole city of Jerusalem is stirred up. Caesar sends out a decree. Jesus, all eyes are on him now. And instead of coming in and conquering with a a strong fist, he is riding on a donkey. Behold your king, humble on the colt of a donkey. seems odd, but if you've read the rest of the gospel, if you've read even just before that in chapter 20, you see that Jesus has been trying to set up his people and his followers for what kind of kingdom he would be bringing. See, the disciples knew that this was happening. Like, they're, they're getting pumped because Jesus has more followers than ever. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. They know that everybody's thinking this is the Messiah, and, hey, we're on the inside, right? Like, we're on the ground floor. We're a part of the inner circle, and this is going to be awesome. Jesus is going into Jerusalem on Holy Week, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that it ain't going to, like, it's not going to be peaceful. And so Jesus is headed in there to pick a fight, and they're excited about it, and th- they think it's going to be a takeover. And so they start asking, hey, hey, Jesus, whenever you enter your kingdom, like can 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 I sit on your right and can my brother sit on your left and even they send their mom to ask and it's this whole weird thing but Jesus in that moment teaches him he says listen guys you've missed it you've missed it you don't understand the type of kingdom that I'm bringing and in verse um, let's see let's read verse twenty five of Matthew twenty if you just look up from where we started there Jesus. Verse 25, but Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Jesus said, listen, you know, that's happened before. What you need to fix this broken world is not just another ruler to come in and rule it over his people. That'll only be temporary, and it doesn't work. You should flip back through history, and you'll be able to tell that, right? Like, the Gentiles have done that. It's been like, that's not what we're doing here. And Jesus says, My kingdom amongst you, my followers, it's not going to be like that amongst you. It's not going to be clamoring to get on top and see who can rule over. He says it's something totally different. And here's what he says. It shall not be so among you, verse 26, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And listen to this. Even as, there's that phrase, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You can flip back through even in just, the, the, just what page you have open there. You'll see several mentions of the Son of Man where Jesus is, again, pointing to what type of kingdom that he is going to be bringing. And it stands as a, as a declaration for this is what Jesus has said, I've come to bring life and life to the full. But it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. And it's not less than Right? Jesus is not saying, well, I, I know you guys really want a king that can overthrow Rome, but, you know, I don't think I've got that in me, so I'm going to do this instead. No, no, no. It's not less than what the people had hoped for. It's going to be far more. It's going to be far greater than. But I think before we go on in the story, before we look at, at our, our Savior, it's, it's important for us to examine what, what are we hoping for? What are we? What is salvation? What is When Jesus says, you pray, pray to, pray to God in heaven, say, our Father who art in heaven, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like for you? What vision comes in your mind? What are you hoping he will accomplish? What is is his kingdom coming? What does salvation look like in your mind? Because these people, they're eager to lay their cloaks down. They think Jesus is going to accomplish something for them, and they're all in for that. But those expectations aren't met, and their cries of Hosanna turn to cries of crucify him because expectations aren't met. And so it does us well to stop and pause and go, why am I here this morning? What am I hoping for? What do I want out of Jesus? What am I hoping that he will accomplish as Savior? What do I want him to save me from? We need to take an honest look at this for for ourselves. Many of us, salvation, what, what we think needs to happen for our world to be fixed, and we have... A list of things, and maybe maybe that's on a grand scheme, and we, we think politically and nationally and, and world economics and those types of things. Maybe we just think personally, right? Maybe we, we didn not even got the energy to think about the world or our nation. We're just, we just know what we need in our life, and, 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 and that's all I, I can ask of Jesus, right? And for some of us, I mean, we think if, if, if America would just get back to this, right? If we just had the Ten Commandments and prayer back in school, then, then these things would be righted, right? If, if if all the bad people and their policies were just kind of put to the side and, and, and we could get back to what things used to be, right? Those are the things we start thinking about. Well, this is what we need out of this world. This is what we hope the Savior can accomplish, right? And we see it played out over and over again. Our people are inclined to latch on to promises of this, right? It happens every. Few years with our political candidates, right? Where, where swarms of people will say, "This is the one. This is the one who has the policies. This is the one that has the 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 drive and the leadership to change things." And and time and time again, we're let down, right? Time and time again, it doesn't happen. But we don't look at the system or the structure or the person. We just look at the other side and say, "Well, it's it's because of them." And if we could just if we could, and it just goes back and forth, and all of it's left with this this tension of man, it, it's just not what we need. And Jesus says, I I know that I see that. And I know you think it's Rome that you need overthrown, but it's actually sin. It's actually your own heart, your own wickedness. And I'm coming for that. I'm coming after that instead. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not going to be one who rules over people and is ushered in and thrones and chariots and all of that. He says, instead, it's not going to be like that among you. It's going to be that those who want to be the greatest, they're going to make themselves the least. In just a few days, Jesus is going to get down and wash his disciples' feet to show us just what he means by the greatest of us will become the least and a servant to all. So the type of kingdom that Jesus is bringing is not what the people had in mind. Instead, it's the one that he'd been teaching about. It's the one he'd been living out, right? Right? Welcoming those who would repent, welcoming those who were far from the Lord and far from filling it, uh, you know, living up to moralistic standards. Jesus is welcoming prostitutes and and lepers and and uh, thieves and robbers and tax collectors and all the people that are rejected of society. All of a sudden, Jesus is welcoming them into the kingdom of God, and and he's beginning to build this people who who are not full of this self righteous moralism. Right, so many people think that's what. Christianity is about, right? We just got to get the right set of morals in front of people. And if everybody just come to my church and do these things, then then this nation would get straightened out, right? It's not like God's not looking at America and going, well, if them, if if the rest of if they would get it figured out, like the, the second chronicles verse that we know so well, 714, that people know so well, it says, if my people, right, would who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Then I will hear from heaven, and I'll heal their land. That he, he's he's calling out his people to live lives of sacrificial, selfless giving. It's what we just looked at in Philippians, right? This is this is very much. What Paul is describing in Philippians whenever he says that Jesus, who had it all and was on the throne, emptied himself and decided that was not something he had to hold on to, but instead opened up his hands and came and became like us and gave all that he had. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom, my people are going to be people that live like that. It's going to be less about conquering and having these positions and doing all these things. Instead, it's going to be people who live radically, who are set free from the bondage of sin, of thinking that if I had more power, more money, more influence, more pleasure, then life would be, no, no, Jesus says, I'm going to set you free from all that, and I'm going to create an army of people. My kingdom is going to come when my people who are called by my name start to live the way that Jesus has lived, and they start to, we start to give our lives away and live sacrificially. The kingdom of God advances when the people of God deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. That means we enter into hard places and hard spaces. When we hear the call of God and, and we, we, we hear that there are children in and amongst our area in Southern Illinois that are being pulled out of their homes because it's not safe for them to be there and they have nowhere to go because they're, they're sent to group homes or, or or upstate to Chicago or wherever because there's no homes here. When we hear that there are kids in our schools that, man, their families aren't they have not fell apart yet and it's not unsafe for them to be there, but they don't have a dad and and, and they would really love a mentor, right? And we hear about that, but we hear that there's no mentors on the list, where there's nobody there to say yes to those kids, to walk alongside them. When we hear about people that are trying to break free from the bondage of sin and meth and and, uh, opioids, and there's this... And all that's tied together, right? Kids that are in foster care, so often it's because their parents are hooked on. When we see this cycle of sin and we we know that there's people, like four times a week, there's churches that are hosting Celebrate Recovery, Celebrate Recovery, this recovery group. And there's people filling those rooms that are actually trying to get free from that sin. And as they come into those programs, many of those programs say, hey, would you like a mentor? Would you like somebody to hang out with you, just do life with you? And most of them say, yeah. But guess what? Guess what? There's nobody there. Right, And whenever moms get pregnant and they don't know what to do, and they don't don't see a way forward out of their mess, except by going to an abortion clinic, the kingdom of God advances forcefully on a world when Christians deny themselves and say, you come to me, you come to me, you come to my home. You come to my home. You come and, and eat my food. You come sleep in my bed. You, you come and have my car. You come and do whatever you need because Jesus, Jesus is life, and I've got him, and whatever I've got, it's yours because I've got Jesus, and, and if you need a car, you, here, you can, you can take mine. The, the kingdom of God advances forcefully when we begin to live out the posture of Jesus, humbly riding in his coronation on the colt of a donkey. Indeed, the king has come. Salvation is here. Praise God. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. He's coming again one day. But in the midst of this, he says to his people, You pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, And you go and tell everybody you can, and you invite them, teach them, show them to live out everything I've taught you. Well, what, did he, what did he teach his disciples? Self-righteous, moral lives, follow all these rules, hope that everybody else gets, gets the good news like you do. No, he says, pour out your life. Be the salt and the light to a broken and dark world. That's how his kingdom comes. That's how we go forward. And it's not only how we find life and salvation, it's how we bring life and salvation to our broken and busted up world. And, and as we do that, he makes us more and more like him. We're being resurrected. Man, isn't that song beautiful, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Amen, right? Like there's more and more life coming out in us as we as we surrender and submit to him. So as we close, here's our response: we need to take an honest look at Jesus and who he is. That he is indeed the king. He is indeed the king. We need to examine our Savior. And know who he is. We don't get to define him. We don't get to put our own expectations on who he is and what he's going to be. We need to examine him for who he really is in the scriptures and who he is today on the throne of heaven. And then, secondly, we need to examine ourselves. What is the things that that we were hoping Jesus would do in our own life? What What are the things that we're wanting from him that really don't align with what he's invited us to and called us to? And then in response to that, man, we just need to surrender to him. Surrender. That's how his kingdom advances. It says the gospel goes forward and it's not that people have to earn themselves or try out for this kingdom or punch this list or do all these things. We just surrender. We say, I acknowledge you, Jesus. You are the resurrected Savior. I need a Savior. I'm not making this. I'm not going to do it. I can't. I need a Savior, and Jesus, I believe that it's you. And as as we do that, as we surrender, he says, I'll stop living my life, Jesus, for me, and I just give it to you. He says, he'll meet us there, and he'll give us new life, and we're born into the kingdom of God. We're citizens of heaven, and we're set forth into new life. That's what we celebrate in baptism, is that we find life through joining Jesus in his death. Take an honest look at who this Jesus is, what he's calling of us as we pray. Father, we need you to open the eyes of our hearts, to expose our sin, to expose our short-sightedness, our selfishness. We need you, Jesus, to, to come and be that king We need you, Jesus, to come and conquer our hearts for the first time or in a new way. We need you, Jesus. Spirit, would you come and accomplish that work in our hearts today? Give us the courage to come and receive prayer. Give us the courage to come and surrender our lives. Maybe for the first time and receive salvation or maybe in a new way to surrender how we live and who we're living for.